Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Raise your hand, and the guys will come forward with the Bible. <laughs> well, the only time you get out is when Pastor Al blows it. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah chapter 15 and 16 tonight. Going to look at these uh, chapters here, and the Lord, the Lord is going to begin here. I'm not going to. I know it's been a couple of weeks because we had uh, church in the cafe. And then uh, last week, Ray covered, which was so wonderfully great. Um, so, but the Lord is, re- you know, he begins by reiterating to Jeremiah the very things that he doesn't want him to do. And that's to, I don't want you to intercede for Judah. They've gone off. They've gone off. You know, they're, they're just run amok. And remember earlier on one if not a couple of occasions, he didn't want Jeremiah praying for them and praying in a, in a means of blessing. I don't want you to bless them. I don't want you, and the reason why is because they have been backslidden. So, you know, don't let your emotions get in the way. What I want you to do is I want you to understand what uh, what, what I'm telling them is to be true. And sometimes that can be a conflict. I mean, you know, we, I mean, it's not that God, we believe God says, we believe it's true, but Man, we just have a heart for people, and we want to see them do well. And, uh, you know, we hope they come out of it. But and the problem of their backsliding is something new. They've been in rebellion for a long time. So let's pick it up in verse 1, verse chapter 15. It says, Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, he's using two guys as an example, that was not relenting. I'm not, even if these guys stood before me, my mind would not be favorable towards this, these, this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Now, I'm going to read to you. It's not going to be on your screen, but it's Psalm 96, if you're a note taker. The psalmist says this. He was praising the Lord of, his holy, of the Lord's holiness. And he says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel were amongst those who called upon his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. So when the psalmist says, he's saying, you know, these two guys are right before me. When they would call upon me, I'm there to answer. But what he's telling Jeremiah is, don't even, if those two guys now, at this particular point in time, were standing before me, I'm not listening to them. And it's not that their hearts aren't right and their hearts aren't pleading correctly, but it's just that these people are going, they deserve a whooping and they're going to get it. They deserve to be chastened. They deserve it. Everything they have coming to them. And so, there's a time when the Lord is just going to remove his hand from people. And this is what he's done. He, I look at they're They're going to get what they have coming to them. They're neglecting to repent. This is his offer. They've walked away for a long time. And his offer had been repeatedly, hey, if you come back to me, if you come back, just repent of your sins. Son, I don't want you to come back and start in the fold. Because if you don't repent of your sins, you're just going to make the rest of the people just like you are but repent of your sin that's the, that's the thing with with the lord repent of your sins that's what he's always offered them it's what he always offers us too just repent of your sin 
And the people of Judah was slid so far back that it wasn't just in the privacy of their lives. It was in their, uh, it, it was in their, I mean, people knew about it, their public lives. It was just, they were living it openly. And then the time was to repent. They weren't repenting, hadn't repenting because of their backsliding. And their backsliding, remember, it just doesn't affect the backslider. It affects the backslider's family, friends, you know, related family, their family's family. So the things that you do and I do, like if we're not going to walk with the Lord, if we're going to be two-faced or whatever we're going to do about it, it's going to cost a lot. And there's a jeopardy that's out there, and it's people that need to see Christ in our lives, and if we're not showing it to them, and, and like these guys are doing, there's going to be a price, there's going to be affecting a lot of people. And so there wasn't anybody who could write the ship. And, and the Lord is telling Jeremiah, look, I don't want you to write the ship. Don't even try. Because nobody's going to be able to do this. I've been giving the only thing to them. The only avenue is repentance. So don't try and make it, you know, sugarcoated or whatever it might be. He says that Moses and Samuel were standing before me. It would not be favorable towards this people. That's how bad they've been. I mean, it's not that the Lord didn't love Moses and Samuel. But listen. There are times when even our best intentions, what I mean by that is we want to, you know, soften the blow or try and make some things out of the situation and try and make good out of a bad situation. And the Lord is just saying, don't get involved. It's time that they get a whooping. I don't know if you guys are enablers, but enabling is not a gift of the Spirit. And see, we can't enable people. You know, it's best that, you know, take let them go through what they're going to go through. I mean, I don't want to go through anything. And I don't want to see people go through anything. But there are times they have to go through these things because of their own decisions. And they go through these things in their life and they have to get things right with the Lord. And even our best intentions, our good intentions, best intentions aren't the Lord's intentions. And so, you know, we need to remember that. And so the, he says here, uh, in verse 1 again, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me. So the Lord is he's telling Jeremiah, if these spiritual men showed up, I'm still not going to stop doing what I'm doing. I am determined to get it done. I mean, this is going to happen. I'm going to take these guys away into captivity. The nation had dug themselves into such a deep hole because of their sin that the Lord was saying that the only judgment, the only judgment is going to serve as the Correct source of action. That's pretty bad. So he's saying, get out of the way. I don't want to have my hand in the way of the Lord's paddling somebody. And he just says, you know, get out of the way. And here Jeremiah is being told, his mind is made up. The, the mind of God is made up. God's mind. So look, he says in verse 2, he begins by stating that the fate of the people is sealed. This is what's going to happen. And in case, just in case the people are wondering, what to do or, or <coughs> what to say. He says that hit it the wrong way, didn't I? He says to tell them this. And it shall be, if they say to you, where shall we go? Because what he say, look at verse 1 again, cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. I'm just done with them, right? You ever send a kid to his room? Well, this is far worse than that, right? But he says, and, 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 it, and it shall be if they say to you. So he's preempting this by, t by telling Jeremiah, he's anticipating them asking this question, where should we go? 
Then ye shall say to them, thus says the Lord, such are for death to death, such are for the, the sword the sword, such are for the famine the famine, and such are for captivity to the captivity. And every time through these two chapters, there's these two words, I will, I will, I will. You can underline them. I love to do that. He says, and I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dog to drag, the birds of the heavens, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will hand them over to trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth because, and he has good reason for this, because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. Judah, they have passed away to the point of no return, and, and they're in this backsliding state. They've walked away from God, and, and nothing's new. Again, this is the way it's always been. The line has been crossed. And the line was crossed a, a while ago with, with Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. And, and here, because the line had been crossed, it didn't take long for rebellion to begin and then once rebellion begins, it continues. Remember, shortly after the Lord delivered them out of Egypt, <coughs> he said to them, or he brought them out, and he delivered them from their hardships, and then they turned against Moses. And it wasn't long after that they would Miriam spoke against Moses. And if they didn't turn on Moses, they turned on Moses and Aaron. And then the majority of the spies, remember, they were to go into the promised land. Well, we're not going to go. They they uh, refused to enter the promised land and influenced the rest of the people not to go into the promised land. And they built this golden calf as they waited for Moses. So much more. So much more out there. And this was not a one-time slip away. This was not a one-and-done you know, thing that they shortly, you know, refuse to obey the Lord. And all of a sudden they're, they're, they're going to start doing it now. They didn't go in and out. It was, man, their decision to walk away from God, they had long bathed in their decision. It was bad. And we can fall into a trap by thinking that it's one person's sin or one person caused this thing to happen. Though Manasseh was a bad king, yes, but every man is required and every woman is required for her decisions. Ezekiel tells us that. Very clear. Chapter 18, I believe it is. And even in these days, we know that the politicians and the political leaders were, they were corrupt. You know, you can't get bummed out at, on, on the nation because of political leaders. You can't get bummed out on, on the church because church leaders will fall. You see that. Or, you know, in this day, it's the same thing. God still is real. He still exists. He's still on the throne. And in this day, the, the leaders led the people away. They just led them away. But we're, remind, we're reminded of this. It says that the people loved it to be so. They didn't care. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about their relationship with the Lord. They just liked what was happening. Having fun. The economy's great. I mean, everything would be, would be wonderful. See, the people didn't take a stand when they were led away. And instead of turning back to God, they loved the carnality and the idol worship that they were involved in. So they say, hey, let's just hang out here. We all have a voice. You all have a voice. If this pulpit ever gets bad, you need to stand up and say something. Grab the leaders. 
If there's ever a way in the direction that you feel, man, your church or your friends, or you got to let them know something. Listen, it's happening all over. It's happening all over where the word of God is being compromised. And this is what we need. This is going to, you know, when you get, listen, when you get into a situation, it's something I'm dealing with, not on my personal self, but in my personal life with a family member. If you don't make this the foundation of your life, you know what happens when you get into, maybe come across a sickness. And all of a sudden, you've got to make decisions. Very rarely do I see biblical decisions being made. So we have to have the biblical, the Bible. What does the Bible say? I want to live by the word of God. I want to have it out there. I want it to have the authority of my, in my life, in your life. I don't want to be the authority. I'm just going to lay it out there. But these people had walked away. We don't want to fall into the trap of just believing everyone a doctrine. Here it says that there was four forms of destruction. He said the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds and the beasts to devour and destroy. Whether it was war or famine or captivity, the actions to be taken against them was certain. This was the fruit of their labor. And it's sad. This is what they were getting into because of the life that they lived. This is what they had coming to them. At the end of, my, at the end of our days, whether they say the rapture doesn't come in the next 50 years. I hope not. I hope the rapture comes, you know, right, let's get out of here right now. But, but I, I want to do well at the end. I wanted, my wife and I were talking about that on the way in. You know, I said, honey, this is something we really got to talk about because, you know, if I'm ever in the bed or you're ever in the bed and, and there's pain that comes upon us, what do we want to do? How do we want to glorify God in the last minute, right? I don't know. I just want to be honorable to the Lord in all things. But... These guys, they were reaping that to which they were sowing. And they were about a point of no return. Remember Jeremiah in his, in his earlier days, Josiah tried to turn the nation back by reform. You know, hey, you got to be a Christian. This is the way they try to enforce the people, but you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, can you? They got to want that. They got to want that hunger. They got to want the Lord. They got to want it. And even in all of Josiah's attempts that he made a reform, none of them would be of help because their hearts were far from the Lord. Listen, there's going to be so many things, I think, that come up in the world today that try and deceive Christians and point them against one another. You can get the church to be divided any more than it is. And you think of the solid church. There's not many of those left. You think about the solid church, and you just if you can cause division in that, what a bummer that is. But they were at the point of no return. Their hearts weren't close to God. Remember when 9-11 hit? Tragedy. I'll never forget where I was. Heard the news. I rushed to a church. Pastor Daniel was in D.C. at the time. And all of a sudden, the church, for a few months, began to fill up, Right? fill up. People were flocking to the church. And then what happened? All of a sudden things settled down and where'd they go? Back out the door. Their comfort wasn't in God. Their comfort was knowing that they were safe. Nothing was going to happen to them. These people look at the, the God says, I'm going to do something about it. The, the, your fate is sealed 
I'm telling you that when we go the end of our time, our fate is healed. Wherever we choose to go, wherever we say, Lord, I'm coming with you. Man, I repent of my sin. I want to make you Lord and Savior. You take my life. I don't want it to be a, uh, you know, just a one-shot wonder. I want it for the rest of my life. My brother and I were talking about this because he got saved uh, a year before I did, about a year and a half before I did. And when I came to the Lord, it was like, man, it was just like that. Lord, you'll take this? We were talking about that. How funny it was. He goes, I remember you had to walk down all the way down the third, from the third row of the Anaheim Convention Center, and you walked down there. I was so happy. And I said, you know, Lord, you'll take my life. Can you believe that? The Lord wants your life? I mean, I looked at the Lord and said, you want my life? What? Yeah, I'll take that life. And, and I'll make it mine? Yeah. I'll put my signature upon it. And I know from that moment, my, my fate was sealed. My, my, the end of time, I knew I was saved. Without a doubt. Well, here's Jeremiah. Here's a series of woes beginning in verse 5. He says this. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will be moaned? Or who will mourn for you? He says, hey, look. Who's going to look out for you? Who cares for you like I do? Or who will turn aside to, sh to ask how you're doing? Nobody's going to care for them. Nobody, he's saying, nobody's going to ask how you're doing. Listen, bad company corrupts good habit, and bad company doesn't care if you fall. You understand that? They don't care if you backslide. They pr probably care more about getting a little bit of money, making some money off what they're trying to sell you. They don't care. They don't care whether you backslide or not. And again, they're told why this has taken place. And verse 6 says, because you've forsaken me, says the Lord. You've forsaken me. He's telling them straight out. You have gone backward. <laughs> Listen, think about always moving forward with the Lord. Stationary is not a good place because we drift around. And backwards, is not, if you're not moving forward, we're in trouble. I just want to move forward. Let's get on with it. Move forward with the Lord. Grow in the Lord. Grow in his grace. Grow in his love. He says, you have gone backwards. Therefore, here they are again. I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. Their, their judgment is not going to wait any longer. The time had come, he says in verse 7. I, I will winnow them or the winnowing fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I think, why would the Lord want to continue to pass their uh, sinful lives and the children and children. He says, stop it already. You know, I don't want you to pass it on. I'm going to bereave you of children. The people, you know, you're not going to stop. So why should I keep having you have kids? I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sands of the land. I will bring against them this is a lot of men dying in order to make widows. I will bring against them, against the mothers of the young men, a plundering at noonday. I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. She languishes uh, who was born, who has born seven. She has breathed her last. Her son has gone down. And while it was yet day, she had... Uh, she has been ashamed and confounded, and the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their their enemies, says the Lord. So again, seven times in this little phrase, the Lord says, I will, I will, I will. And when he says that, he means it. The Lord's word will always come to pass. And as for a mother who would have seven kids, 
First of all, it says they're going to be a mother bereaved or languished, a terror fall upon them. Listen, you don't have mothers, you don't have children, you don't have children, you don't have families, you don't have families, you don't have legacies, you don't have strength. And a mother of seven was a symbol of happiness and security. You, you go do the chores, you go mow the grass, you go pick the fields, you go do the cotton, whatever. You just had it. Seven kids is a blessing, seven, seven sons especially. But sadly, that would be no more of the mothers would, would breathe their last. And it's saying those who are still in survivors, he's, God's going to, you know, you're not going to hide from it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point them out to you. So you're going to be in trouble. Don't think you can hide from it. And so look at verse 10, because Jeremiah has this woe, and he says, woe is me. I mean, the pain in Jeremiah's heart is becoming unbearable. If you've ever seen somebody not do what they should do, and they're paying the price, you ever felt that? You ever felt that in your heart, your heart break? I mean, so Jeremiah says, woe to me, my mother, that you have borne me. Jeremiah said, deliver the bad news. Woe, you know. His heart is crushed having to do this. And it's not crushed for just having to be the messenger, but also because he's receiving the word of judgment. This is the word that he's given to them. It's the word of judgment that he's got to bring out to Judah. And, and he knows that the Lord is going to take care of things in this manner. And it just as the Lord says he is, and the people are clueless. They don't get it. It's like sheep walking to the slaughter, you know, or cattle just going up there. He says, a man of strife and a man of contentions to the whole earth. I have neither lent for interest, nor have, lent men, uh, have men lent to me for interest, for every one of them curses me. This, this is how Jeremiah and his woes, it's one thing to be used by God. Jeremiah is all for that. It's one thing to be used by God, but it, when it comes to bringing forth his word, that's great. I love doing that. I love being able to share God's word. But then Jeremiah comes to this place where it's a totally different thing because he's delivering the word day after day, month after month, we, you know, year after year, constantly giving it and seeing the people's heart growing harder and harder. They're not listening. I mean, doesn't it grieve you the way our country is in? I mean, the word of God, you have the free word of God. But our country, you see the depravity that it's just going into deeper and deeper. The blindness, if you will. And it's not just here. It's, well, it's, it's mainly here. I just, I can't speak for the rest of the world. But you see what's happening here. It's crazy. And you have this, the, the word of God going out. You have people's hearts growing harder and harder towards uh, towards the Lord, and they're harder and harder towards the things of God, to the point, <clears throat> to not only are their hearts that are hard, not only that they're rejecting the message, but then all of a sudden they're starting to turn on the messenger. That's where Jeremiah's going, whoa, huh. now they're coming after me, what's up with that? I'm just the messenger, I'm going to be faithful to the messenger. And I get that, because they're they're rejecting God, they're not rejecting, you know, Jeremiah, in a sense, they are, but they're, they're rejecting the Lord. But I still can't deny that there's a burden at times. Even though we know, uh, yeah, the Bible says in, in Acts that Jesus said, uh, Saul, Saul, why is thou persecuting me? 
He was persecuting the church, but the head of the church was being persecuted. And so they're rejecting God, but it, it just, it hurts because you see these people, they're rejecting God, and now they turn on you. You know, it's, what's interesting is I think every time I've taught Romans, chapter one doesn't take long. And I'll just simply teach it in the love of God. Simply teach it with an evangelistic message. God's love is great. His grace is great. And it seems like it doesn't bother me to teach it. I love teaching it. I'm, I love teaching the word. But some will, they don't want to hear what God has to say out of it. Their minds are already made up. Their hearts are already made up. They're like, you know, wait a second. This is a, I'm already like this. I got friends like this. I got, you know, and they're like, well, your friends don't write the Bible. And so, you know, they have this idea. And then all of a sudden, there goes two or three, hit the door. Like, wait a second, where are you going? You're a, and I get it on social media. You're a bigot. You're a hater. You're a blah, 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 blah. Oh, my gosh. I love you too. <laughs> and as this goes on, as the people curse you because you're the messenger, remember, it's not easy, and I don't care who you are, but we've got to take a stand somewhere. If God is calling you to give a message to somebody, you've got to give it to them in love, right? I'm not saying we don't want to be hypocritical and throw, the, throw bricks around at them, blow off arms and stuff with a canon of Scripture. But there have been times that you know, yes, I've been called a hater, received death threats, calls at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm coming after you and your family. Okay. But, you know, I say that for the, for the person who's called into ministry, just <laughs> sign up for the ride. Because it's a wild ride, <laughs> you know. So Jeremiah has this well, he has this burden, and look at verse uh, verse eleven because here's the Lord's response to Jeremiah. The Lord says, "Surely it will be well with you, uh, with your remnant." The Lord is telling Jeremiah, "Listen, your your ministry is not going to be in vain, pal. There will be a remnant, especially uh, the Lord speaking here. He would give favor to the people amongst their captives, but even." Uh, though the remnant would survive, the judgment will come to pass. He says, surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in a time of adversity and in a time of affliction. Can anyone break iron? He's saying, hey, listen, these Babylonians, they got mass, iron, strong. They got this, they're a fierce nation and, and everybody's afraid of them. That was the nation of that time. Look, I'm not, I, I'll just say this. I don't get too overwhelmed on how powerful any country is because God is ultimate power, right? I mean, really, I love America. You ain't all that, right? I mean, as a country, we're not all that. I mean, God is the ultimate power. He takes people, kings up, and takes them down. And there, you, you see the things that are happening and how it's going to come out in the end. It's going to be according to his word, according to his liking. So he's just, you know, the Babylonians here, they're a strong, fierce nation. Well, they're not heard of anymore. But he says the northern iron, that's the Babylonians, and the bronze, can anyone break their iron? He says your wealth and your treasures, I will give us plunder without price because, well, you're saying everything you have is going to go away because of your sin. 
Draw your territories, and I will make you cross over with your enemies. You're going to a foreign land, but it's not by your choice. You want to travel the world? <laughs> You're going to go. And it's not for your choice, it's not for good reason. Into the land which you do not know. For a fire is kindled in my anger, which shall burn upon you. See, Babylon, who would be used by God to take Judah into captivity, was a strong nation. No doubt about it. And even though they would take Judah captive and many would die, the Lord's going to spare Jeremiah and there's going to be a remnant. But he says, you know what? It's going to happen according to the way I tell it to happen. And then look at Jeremiah's prayer. He hears this and he says, oh Lord, you know. Verse 15. Remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away. Know that you're, know, know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place to where you're confident God has called you to something? You're confident that you're right in the center of his will, but then the opposition is relentless? Ever been there? Welcome to my club. It's all right. And your prayer is like, Lord, whatever you do, just do it quickly. Because <laughs> it's over with, you know. And Jeremiah wants to get it over with, but God, he knows that God will spare him. But still, it helps just to be quick. Lord, if you're quick about this. Look at verse 16. He says, your words were found, and I ate them. And your word to me was the joy, of, of, a joy and rejoicing of my heart. No doubt that he longed to do what God called him to do. I mean, I had a joy. I took your word in. I, I, I ingested it into me. I just loved it. But because of you have that calling, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy street. You know, ministry is an easy street. It's never been that way from the very beginning. You're going to, you might come across a hard times, you know, but you love you. You remember, Paul said, the love of Christ compels me to do what I do. It's that love. It's that relationship. Look what God has done for us. You got to love God, you know, more than I love everything else. And, you know, the Lord will give me time for all that other stuff. But, man, I just love what God does. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy street. I mean, for those who feel a calling to the ministry, get ready. Get ready. Sign your life away. We should do that as a Christian, right? Aren't we all in a ministry anyway? We're all in a ministry of reconciliation. But it's just that how well can we be used and easily can we be used by the Lord? You know, are we, you know, holding something? No, it's like, Lord, just use me. And he would just to be freed up of that. So Jeremiah has this prayer, you know, whatever you do quickly. He says, your words are found. I ate them. His words, your word was to me like uh, the, re, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I mean, people want to be, who, people who want to be true to the word of God <laughs> it's, it's going to cut to the heart of, pe of other people. You want to be true to the word of God, it's going to cut to the heart of people. But listen, they're not going to like it. They may not like it. I hope that they come and turn back. You know, going through Jeremiah has prompted us, prompted me, so I prompt you, to pray for backsliders. Don't ever give up on them. Pray for them. Pray for the lost. Don't ever give up on them. Our God's grace is deeper than them. God desires them to come to him. So just be true to the word. They may not like it at times. They'll let you know it too. 
And yes, the Lord will always be with you. And he may always, you know, just because the Lord is with us, just because he calls us into the ministry or calls us to a certain, you know, point of the ministry, it doesn't mean that there are going to be times when, you know, we're, we're going to go through something like we've never experienced before in our lives. He'll be right with us, but just enjoy the ride. He says this, verse 16, for I am called by your name. Listen, you might want to underline that. I am called by your name, the Lord says, or Jeremiah says, for I am called by your name. It's important to remember, especially when the attack comes. I'm called by your name. I am chosen by God. I am from the beginning of the foundation of the earth. He chose the world. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when we, when we stop remembering that, then we lose our ground. The enemy wants to take ground in our lives. It's especially important when others seem to be against us. Remember that God has called you. I'm in this relationship. You wouldn't be here if you didn't love God. I mean, why, there's many other things to do. Why would I be in church? Why would I, you know, give and support and serve and all that stuff? I didn't love God. If this is because I have to, I got to check my heart. He says, for I'm called by your name. He's called you, O Lord of hosts. I did not sin in the assembly of the mockers or sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand. The ministry can be a lonely place. He said, I, I sat alone because of your hand. You know, it's a lonely place. Especially when the majority out there are backsliders. They're going in a different direction. But God has called you and I. You ever Psalm 1? That we're to stand. We're not to stand with the sinner. Not to sit. Not to, you know, walk in the ways. We're, we're, we're to walk in the ways of the Lord. I mean, we're not to, to have fellowship. I'm actually going to read that because I just feel it's so important. Psalm 1 reads like this. He says, Blessed is the man. You want to have a blessed life? Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He, you know, here's Jeremiah is just saying, you know, uh, the majority of backslidden, but man, I'm standing alone. It's okay. See, a straight and narrow path is the path God wants us on. Wide path is populated. Populated by opinions. Populated by people. Populated by groups. Populated by facets. Populated by all these things. He goes on to say, for you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual, my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Why am I feeling, why am I feeling so much pain? This is the heart of a true servant of God, but why am I feeling this pain? Will you surely be with me like an like a unreliable stream as, uh, as waters that fail? So Jeremiah is brokenhearted over this. He comes to this place. He's being called by God. It's awesome. There's no other place like that to be. Man, God, you are just so good to me. But to see people turn from following the Lord, it's painful. I feel it. I feel it when people, I don't feel like I'm responsible. I'm not at all. They're responsible. It's not my responsibility. But I just feel, I hurt for them. 
Because it's never when you get to a, a funeral, whatever you call them, when somebody dies and a dirge when they die and don't know Jesus. Um, I don't, you know, it's just like they're not in a better place. The best they ever had was everything went through here. But it just breaks my heart to see people not turning to Jesus, especially those who have tasted of the Lord, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I don't want to see anybody backside, nor do I want to see, I don't want to see anybody perish without Jesus. So I one of the shared at the family meeting, one of the interesting um, outreaches we have is funerals. <laughs> because we have a captive audience. And you give them the gospel. And they're here, and a lot of them are unsaved. I mean, it's a, how, how many people are going to be there? Well, let's do it. And if the Lord lays on my heart, yeah, let's do it. And the church here, you guys are served so well. And people come to know Jesus. You see, and they know, you know, these guys know that the consequences are coming. And this is why this prophet is known as the weeping prophet. It just hurts him so much. It pains him in his heart. I mean, doesn't your heart feel bad when people reject the gospel? Especially when they've tasted and they've seen. They know that God is good. And so Jeremiah asks the Lord in verse 18, he says, will you be an unreliable stranger? I mean, he's asking, God, you... Don't be disappointing to me. I need to be refreshed. I, you know, he needs the Lord to refresh him. I'm going to need to be refreshed because it's hard out here. It's dry. You get beat up. You get wore out. So he's asking the Lord, would you refresh me? Anybody need a refreshing tonight? Amen. Yeah. Just be refreshed. And look at verse 19. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me if you take out the the precious of the uh, from the vial. <clears throat> you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. So Jeremiah was going through some times of hardship from the people. The Lord tells him, "You don't go their way. I want you them to come your way." Just understand that. I want you to be faithful to the word, faithful to the Lord. That's what the Lord is telling him. But I don't, you know, times aren't going to be easy. Times are going to be hard. Yes, you're going to need to be refreshed. There are times when challenging hardships are going to hit somebody. They're going to hit hard. But you've got to be faithful and you've got to understand that you don't go their way. They're to come your way. It's easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull them up. And maybe it seemed easier to fade back or blend in when others are, you know, not, oh, maybe I just won't be so on fire for the Lord, you know. <clears throat> but Jeremiah, this is what he's being warned about. I remember thinking of the Proverb 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kiss of the enemies, the kisses of the enemies are deceitful. Let's be faithful with the word. And there have been some things it seemed that God saw in Jeremiah's heart that he goes, you know what? I want you to take care of these things before they start coming out of your mouth. I don't want you to fall back into this. I don't want you to get emotional. I want you to put an end to it right now because what I need you to do is I need you to be my man. I need you to be my spokesperson out there. Look at verse 20. 
He says, and I will make you the people, a fortified bronze wall, it's the promise of God to Jeremiah. <clears throat> and they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, says Lord. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. God, God ended his rebuke by re, uh, restating the promises that he made to Jeremiah in the very beginning when he had commissioned him to be a prophet. Listen in Jeremiah chapter 1, he says this, For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and a pillar, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the king of Judah, and against his princes, against his priests, and against the people of the land. And they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So he's reinstating that again and again. We need that sometimes. I remember what Jonah, I think it's chapter 2, he says, and the word of the Lord came to me a second time. I love that because sometimes that's what I need. Lord, give me that remembrance of what your word says. I need to hear it again. You know, the, in the epistles it says, it should not be tedious that I write to you these things over and over and over and remind you of these things. We need to be reminded. So he would strengthen Jeremiah as a bronze wall so that those who opposed him, they would never overcome him. It may be hard. They're not going to overcome me, Jeremiah. Don't worry about it. And so in verse chapter 16, let's pick it up. We look at, here's the things that Jeremiah is called to. But as he's called by God, he has some things in his life that he's not supposed to partake of. The first thing, he has life restrictions. The first thing is marriage. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. Thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who were born in this place, and concerning their mothers who were born them, or who bore them, and their and their fathers, who begot them in this land, they shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuge on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their corpses shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the fields. So here's this list of Jeremiah's restrictions as he's called by God there to serve it as an object lesson for these people, the first one not to marry. Many were going to die in this captivity. Relationships are going to be short-lived. And for what... Whatever the case, I think he just wanted, the Lord wanted Jeremiah's undivided attention. Remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, you know, I wish that all men were like I am. And I believe he was talking about being single. But he said this, he said, if you marry, and I'm paraphrasing, if you marry, you got more responsibilities. You got to get a job. You got to, you know, you got kids, you got all these things. He says, if, if you're not married, you're just free to serve the Lord. I mean, you can go wherever at any time. But if you're married, you know, you got, hey, honey, what are you, where are you going? I'm going to serve the Lord. What about, <laughs> what about this? What about that? So you have these things. He says, you know, just not to marry. I believe you wanted the Lord's, uh, the Lord wanted Jeremiah's undivided attention. And look at, you think about the cost, though, <laughs> of what God's calling is on your life. What is he calling you to? Think about the cost. What if he says, it's not just because it's bad. He says, well, look at, it might be good. 
It might be okay. It might not be sinful, but I just, I would prefer you. I need to call you. And when you are called to this specific calling, you're going to have to give up these things in your life. You willing? You know what I mean? You willing? Because it may not be the luxuries that we're to live for. It may not be this or that. It's just like the Lord says, look, I need you to be this man or this woman. I need you to be this person that is going to lay down your life in this situation. This is your calling. And then whatever, whatever interferes with that calling, you got to say, well, look, I'm, I got, I got bingo on Monday night. I'm just thinking of something, you know, I got bingo on Monday nights, Lord. And you know, why does he call this meeting on Monday nights, you know, or whatever the case may be? You just got to think about that. Because the calling of God is greater. He says, I don't want you to get married. Well, you know, wow, what's wrong with marriage? Nothing is. But God had called Jeremiah not to get married, not to have kids. And there's nothing wrong. He says, I don't want you, I, I believe he's saying, I don't want you to be weighted down. There's nothing wrong with the gal. It's just the, the whole process. So there may be nothing wrong with something in your life or my life that God is saying, hey, you know what? I'm calling you to this and I want you to give up your life or give this up in your life. Second thing he says, don't enter the place of mourning in verse five. He says, for thus says the Lord, <clears throat> do not enter the house of mourning nor lament or bemoan them. For I have taken away my peace from this people, says the Lord. Loving kindness and mercy is both great. Yeah, this, uh, both the great and the small uh, and a small shall die in this place. They shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for, cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them. Um, nor shall men break bread in mourning for them to comfort them for the dead. Nor shall men uh, give them the cup of consolation or comfort to drink for their fathers or their mothers. Like, have you ever had a friend or family member that's being punished and you wanted to help them? The Lord is saying, look, don't try it. Don't go to the house in the morning. Don't do it. Don't lighten the blow. Don't mourn for them because they're only getting what they ask for. You know, we want to be sympathetic. Well, I guess it's okay. I want to side with the Lord. I want to side with the Lord. One of the, I think one of the things that I think God wants to speak to us Clearly, and I think that he has, you know, given us his just desires for his word. But when we hear his word, I mean, when we give his word out, let's stand by it. God's word is, is active, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we want to give his word out. And look at it, it seems to get across that <clears throat> to guard your heart so that you don't even have pity on them. That's what the Lord seems to be sharing with Jeremiah here. I don't you have pity on them. They're going to be punished. I want you to have pity on them. You're not to display any kind of normal emotion that somebody might display, you know. Show no sympathy. Don't pity the fool. <laughs> Verse 8, look at what he says. He says, I don't enter the house of feasting. Also, you shall not go to the house of feasting to sit with them, to eat and drink, to sit in that fellowship with them, and then to act as if nothing is wrong is what he's saying. Verse 9, he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause... I will cause from I will I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and, and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. See, also abstaining from feasting, you know, uh, served a purpose of uh, to indicate that the times were well, 
that they were happy, that they were filled with joy. And he was saying, you know what? I don't want you to go into this place thinking everything's okay. I want you to sit there and mourn with them. And I don't want you to go in and think everything's okay. I, you know, he, what God's vowing here is he's vowing to bring an end to the joy that Judah is supposedly having. It's not a true joy. Remember, they're believing in the prophets that are telling of a false peace and all this stuff that's out there. See, true joy only comes when we're in fellowship with the Lord. Think about that in our lives. Same thing, is it not? We shouldn't be mourning with those who are getting punished or paddled by the Lord. Say, man, you know what? It's much better on this side with Jesus. And the other thing is like, um, I'm not going to enter the house of peace. I'm not going to be rejoicing with you because it's a false joy. It's a false joy. Then in verse 10, he begins to say, and it shall be, when he showed the people all these words, they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster on us? Or what is, our, what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, they have walked after other gods and have served them and worshiped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. Again, this wasn't, wasn't a new problem. It started a long time ago. Verse 12. And you have done worse than your fathers. Oh, boy. I mean, you thought you were doing good. You were doing worse than your fathers. That's a, that's a quote from the Lord. For behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart, so that no one listens to me. They're, they're running after their own heart. They don't give a rip about what God is saying. And the intent of our heart is evil continually, and that's what they're living after. Therefore, I will cast out of you to, uh, out of this land, into a land that you do not know, neither no, neither you nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, and I will not show you favor. I'm not gonna, look, I'm not going to be there to bless you. See, the problem, again, was this rebellion that had been, been there for a long time. They were satisfying the flesh. Their hearts were hard. Their ears were closed. And they continued to walk away from the Lord. And so the Lord would give them what he had always promised to them and said, look, I've told you this. You're going to sow that to which you're going to reap that to which you sow. I've told you that. I mean, we know that. And, and uh, he said that in Deuteronomy too. And with the change of just one person, I want to share this with you. Well, the change of just one person, I'm not going to go that route. You can have a domino effect for good. And that testimony was my brother when he was here Sunday. Many of you guys are the same way. It was just not my life. My brother got saved and his wife got saved. And I got saved. My wife got saved. My nephew got saved. My mom got saved. My sister got saved. My niece got saved. My nephew got saved. On and on and on, family members getting saved. But it's got to start somewhere. It's got to stop somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. And so, you know what? He's just saying that, you man, you're going to go to this land. It doesn't have to be this way. He changed our direction in our life. He's done it for you. And we need to continue to point that. You know, without God, we were, we were just continuing to be alcoholics and addicts. For another generation, another generation. I couldn't imagine my son with hair down his back and... You know, my daughter just so tripped out of her mind for many generations, but God. Verse 14, 
there's a promise there. He says, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, <coughs> that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who uh, brought up the children of Israel, the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives who brought up the, ch uh, <coughs> the children of Israel from the land of the north and the land of all, from all the lands where he had driven them, for I will bring them back into their lands, which I've given them. So there was <clears throat> given to their fathers. So there was um, once a great move of God. We've seen it coming out of Egypt. He delivered them. Awesome power. But now they're going into captivity, you know, and it's like, what happened? But he's shedding some light on the end of it. He says, you know, I'm going to restore you. Don't worry about this. I mean, you're going to worry about it a little bit. But happened in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra. It happened in 1948. And the ultimate restoration will be in the millennial period. We'll see that ultimate. But it's just incredible to see what's going on now. Let's close with this. Verse 16. But I will send for many fishermen. Again, the fishermen, the hunters, he's talking about the Babylonians, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send many hunters, and they shall hunt them <clears throat> from every mountain, on every hill, out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. At first I will repay double for their iniquity and for their sin because, he underlines it, they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. See, restoration could be expected in the future, but now they're getting what they have sown to, and that was they were going to be deported. you got to pay the price. In the end, I think of people that have lived their whole life just amok. They got into drugs, their life is so filthy, so bad, so terrible that nobody wants anything to do. Burn every bridge in the family, burn every bridge in their friendships. But God would come along and save them in the end. He's there. He could burn every bridge but God's. And the only bridge that, that will never burn is the bridge that he gapped heaven to earth with, and that was the cross of Jesus Christ. See, God looked at the Babylonians as these fishermen and the hunters, and said, they're going to come after you, but in the end I will restore you. You know, in the end. Then he pictured, you know, he pictures them, he says, hey, <clears throat> they're going to go down and they're going to get those who are, who are managed to think they're escaping and hiding, they're going to get them. Look at verse 19. He says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the daily affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you. This is prophetic. From the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself, which are not gods? Think, therefore, behold, I will this once, or I will, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my right hand and my might, and they shall know that I am the Lord. It's the ultimate goal. Ezekiel says that plenty of times through. That they, I say this, that so you may know that I am the Lord. Or I'm going to do this, God would say. It said, Jeremiah affirmed his trust in God. He was affirming his uh, 
trust in the Lord. Listen, I'm going to trust you no matter what goes on, no matter what's, you know, what, what happens, no matter the persecution against me. But he looked forward to the day when all the world will know. It's called the age of grace. When the world will know that God's message will be sent out to the world. And the Gentiles would even believe. And those Judah didn't, they, they had turned to the false gods of the Gentiles. There would be a time when all the nations would come to the one true God of Israel. The time is now. And the time is a powerful message of the gospel being poured out into our hearts. And we could see a move of God like never before. Why not? Yes, the Jesus movement was a radical movement. I think it's still embering today, but we can fan it into flame. Why not? God's still alive, right? He's not like you and I driving our cars, all of a sudden the idiot light comes on, God goes, oh, the Jesus movement is over and I'm just running out of gas. It's not like that. He desires to burn bright and burn, burn bright in our lives. He desires to do a work that he's always wanted to do, and that's bring all men to repentance. And so he comes to this place with this, you know, we come to this place and we see Judah and Israel had faulted. But now that we have the gospel, and this is the thing I shared with a couple Wednesdays ago, 1 Corinthians, Paul was moved to pen these words by the Holy Spirit. He said, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 and 11, now concerning these things, remember those things were all the failures of Israel. Concerning these things, be, uh, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they also lusted. And they also become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let uh, us commit a, uh, sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell, nor uh, let, uh, let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end, ends of the ages have come. You see, the day when the Gentiles would come to know the Lord is upon us. But it is our responsibility to live in such a manner that all might know, God, we're that example. We're going to be that testimony. We're going to be that message that they're listening to. And we can hand them a invite. They say, well, I didn't know you were a Christian. Oh, here, here's a card. And we can hand them, hand them an invite. Come to the Lord. Come to Jesus. Come to, come to church. And just want to see if we have a desire to see and have a heart just for people in general. <clears throat> Lord, help us to live in that manner with a hunger to see others come to Jesus. Mike, I would call you up here to my throat. Is, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your grace. You're so wonderful to us. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, 
and so do we. 